0: Lamentations 3 says, Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God, our Father. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other. And Bellwether, if God is for us, nothing can stop us. If God is with us, nothing can stand against us. Amen. Would you praise God this morning? You and I have got a lot standing against us, but whatever is standing against us, the one standing behind you is greater. The one going before you is stronger. The one that we worship is higher than any other. He is healer. He is awesome in power. He is Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is our God. This is our God. Genesis 18, 14 would say, Is anything too hard for the Lord? And Jeremiah 32 would answer, Nothing is too hard for you. Ephesians 3.20 would say, He is able, would you say that with me? He is able, He is able, He is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. Luke 1.37 would say, For nothing is impossible with God. And yet some of you are sitting here and you are facing what seems to be an impossible Situation. If God doesn't come through for you, you are through. If God doesn't do something supernatural in your life and in your marriage and in your kids and in your dating relationships, if God doesn't step in in a supernatural way and save that person who is not saved in your family, if He doesn't step into your career and into your finances, you're finished. You've done all you can. And you're absolutely exhausted. You are overwhelmed. You are lonely. And for the first time in your life, depression has set in. You're stressed out. And you are scared to death. Where's God? Where is God? I'm wondering if I'm speaking into anybody's life this morning... All week, I've been preparing a sermon, one sermon for one person. I've been asking God, God, is there just one person utterly dependent upon you? One person who needs you to move in their life? Is there one person that needs God more than they need food? more than they need air, more than they need anything else. is Jesus needed by one person this morning. God wants to get personal. Let's pray together. Blessed Father, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, your Holy Spirit is utterly needed this morning. I'm praying for one person this morning, Lord. One person to catch on fire for Jesus Christ. I'm praying that in this one person's life you would do what you did in the widow's life found in 2 Kings 4, 1-7. through 7. If you've come today and you've come empty, you've come dry, you've come needy, you've come dependent. If you have come today like we have sang about and you need strength for today, you need bright hope for tomorrow, in the moment of silence, would you tell God how much you need Him? Jesus Christ, the Scriptures call you the Amen. They call you the true and the faithful witness. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're getting a new sermon series today. Utter Dependence, Praying and Fasting. And we're looking forward to the campaign starting next week. This sermon is just meant to be a preview, just kind of a general overview of praying and fasting. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of specifics in praying and fasting, but just to give a broad sweep of what we're going to be doing. I have been to the Bible and back this week. And in 2 Kings 4, 1-7, I have seen the almighty triune God pour his life into one utterly dependent individual. She was a widow with two kids. Perhaps you know her very well. You've probably found herself, yourself in her shoes before. Perhaps you have found yourself in her house before. She was mentally and emotionally drained. The faucet wouldn't quit leaking. The toilet wouldn't quit overflowing. The kids needed money to go to the movies on Friday night. The Keurig was tanked. No coffee in the house. Laundry at 12 a.m. These kids were everything she had. The sight of them running... The, 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 the sight of them smiling was everything to her. To hear them laugh reminded her of the promises of God. She couldn't lose her two boys. She had already lost her husband, a God-fearing man, and now the creditor was knocking on her door, waiting, ready to take her kids away. And in verse 1 of chapter... Four Second Kings says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. I don't like this verse at all. Someone demanding our kids. Someone say, I'm here to take your kids. They're mine. What's out there saying, I'm going to take your kids. I'm here for your kids. I'm here for your marriage. I'm here to take your health. I'm here to take your finances. I'm here to take your calling and your vision in life. You can't do that. That's not yours. That's mine. Who or what says they own you today? The creditor doesn't own you. Debt doesn't own you. Are you sick today? Illness and disease doesn't own you. Alcohol doesn't own you. It has no claim on your life. Teenagers, peer pressure doesn't own you. Death is not your Lord. Your enemies have no claim on your life. Your past sin, your shame, and your guilt have no claim on your life. Jesus Christ owns every single one of us. He is your God. I don't know what it is. It seems like it has got a claim on your life. And it says, I'm demanding your life. Whatever is demanding your kids today, whatever is demanding of your soul, you say, I am dependent on Jesus Christ. And I've got a fight in me. We're talking about being utterly dependent on God. The first point I want us to talk about today in being utterly dependent on God is you've got a fight. And if you've got a prayer, you've got a fight in you. This widow had a fight in her life. She was earnestly seeking God. I believe it's Isaiah that says, seek God while he can be found. Well, God needed to be found in her day. She was earnestly seeking God. God is looking for someone to earnestly seek him. God is looking for some of us who mean business with him. And this lady meant business. She had a claim on her kid's life. Jesus Christ has got a claim on your life and my life. Acts 20 verse 28 says that God has bought his church with his blood. Take a look at that cross. You tell me Jesus Christ hasn't got a claim on our life. You tell me Jesus Christ has not fought for his church. And if you're here this morning and say, you know what Jeff, I don't have a fight. I don't have a prayer. I don't have anything to depend on God for. Two things. Find somebody who's got something to fight for. Step into their life. Step into their fight. Pour yourself out interceding for them. Find a widow. Find an orphan. Find someone elderly who is sick. Find somebody in your small group or in this church. Find an acquaintance that you have heard of... ...and say, God, how can I step in and fight for their life? Secondly... Ask God for a fight. Ask God for an impossible vision that you can't do on your own, but you need Him to do it. Ask God, God, I need a fight. I need a vision. I need a calling in my life. I need someone to fight for. I need something to fight for. Ask God for a need. Ask God, I need you, God. I need a fight in my life. The widow had the fight of her life and she knew the one to cry out to. She goes to the man of God named Elisha and she cries out to, and verse 1 says, Question, what's the most important thing about prayer? Is it how to pray? It's who you're praying to. We got to know the one ...that we are praying to. We're talking about praying and fasting over the next couple of weeks. If we don't address the one our prayers are going to... ...if we don't get that right, we get nothing right. I saw an image on Facebook. I believe it was like two weeks ago maybe. And I think this image is going to come up. It says, praise well with others. You'll see it come up in just a second. There it is. Praise well with others. ...you've got Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Islam, Christianity... ...all represented there. And I believe that it was a sentiment to pray well with others. It's a sentiment to say maybe one of two things. You know what, we're all praying to the same God... ...or, hey, let's at least join and pray well with others. Let's join together. It sounds nice. It sounds ecumenical. It sounds joining together and let's bond together... But in this fight for truth, we're talking about having a fight... ...and we're talking about fighting for something personally. Let's talk about fighting for Christianity... ...and fighting for the name of Jesus. Islam does not have the same Jesus as Christianity. In the Quran, the holy book of Islam, Jesus did not die. He did not resurrect. That's not the same Jesus we know. Islam and Judaism doesn't believe in the holy blessed trinity... ...the father, the son, and the holy spirit... Now, you may not have an interest in comparative religions. Your only deep need today may be what is on your own heart and in your personal life. And you need to fight for that, but we have got to fight for Jesus' name in our culture today. We have got to fight for Jesus Christ. I don't know of a more urgent need than to teach our teenagers, our next generation... ...who it is that they are praying to... ...that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. We don't worship a cultural Christ... ...who has come to say, I am cuddling up with all the false gods in the world. We worship a man who is God... ...who came in history who lived and died and rose and descended, and He is King of kings, He is Lord of lords, and if we are not teaching our kids a healthy view of Jesus Christ, what are we teaching them? We are teaching them, praise God for all of our teachers, biology, protons and neutrons. Why can't we teach them who Jesus is? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my Lord, my soul to keep. Who's the Lord? Let's teach our kids to pray, but let's teach them who they're praying to. Is there anything else to fight for than a correct view of Jesus? In this passage, we find out who, um, a little bit about who God is. Now, in our prayer life, if you want to get technically speaking, Christians pray to the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit. Now, who is God in this passage? We see God in this passage as, in verse 1, as Yahweh, in verse 7, as Elohim. We find out who Elohim is in Genesis 1-1, the Creator. He is the Creator God, Elohim, the Transcendent One. He stands above all things and all people. He is the source of life, Genesis chapter 1. You move into Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3... ...and you see this transcendent God, Elohim... ...the source of all life, standing above all people and all things. And you see Him as Yahweh in chapter 2 and 3... ...coming and walking alongside of His creation, His his man and His woman. Yahweh in the Bible... ...is seen as probably most in your scriptures as capital L-O-R-D, the Lord. And we see Yahweh in the Bible as a personal God. He comes and he has a relationship with his people. You find out about his ethical nature and God's character... ...that he is holy and he is love and he knows us personally. And it is fascinating because in our first uh, verse here, 2 Kings 4, 1... ...you see the God-fearing man, who did he fear... He feared capital L-O-R-D. He feared in the Hebrew Yahweh. This God knew this man personally. He loved the husband of the widow. And he loved his God. He loved Yahweh. He knew him personally. And then in verse 7 in reference to the man of God, Elisha... ...the Hebrew there is Elohim... And this passage has beautifully coupled our transcendent God, Elohim... ...who has come to know us personally in Yahweh. The personal God and the creator God in one passage. This is who we are praying to. And Jesus Christ in Colossians 1 is seen as the one who has created everything. In John chapter 1 you see Yahweh in the flesh come. We have the personal God... And the Creator God in Jesus Christ, He has come to be with us. And this is so incredibly amazing. The Creator God has come to what? Help us. He has come to rescue us. What in your life do you need rescuing from today? That is the Jesus that we are praying to and with. Later on, we're going to be singing a song. I called. I cried out. I called and you answered. And I came to your rescue. This lady was crying out. She was calling. She needed someone to rescue. And Elisha responds just like Jesus responds to us in verse 2. Look at verse 2 how Elisha responds. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Guys, does it get any more personal than that? God says, what can I do for you? That is a personal touch of God. What is it that you desperately need God to do for you as an individual? That is the Jesus that speaks to us. That is the Holy Spirit that indwells us. That is the Father who loves us for you. I want you to fill in the blank there. Elisha says to her, God says to us, What is it that I shall do for you? Fill in the blank. But I want you to know this that Yahweh Elohim wants to personally get involved in your prayer life. He's that close to us. But He wants to know that we mean business with Him and that we want to be personal with Him. This lady meant business. And Elisha knew it. She had a fight in her. He says, what shall I do for you? And he says, let's take some inventory. What's in the house? We're about to begin Lent. It's a time of spiritual inventory. What is in your house? And verses 2 through 4, let's read it together. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? He knew she mean business. You know what? I'm going to help you out. I know you're for real. Let's do this thing. And she said to him, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. This is our second point. Our first point was this. If you're utterly dependent upon, you've got a fight in you. You've got a prayer. Second point is this. If you're utterly dependent upon God, you've got a fast in you. God wants us to come to Him earnestly... ...but He wants us to come to Him empty. God is desiring emptiness. The lady said, I've got nothing in my house except a jar of oil. Now, I brought a jar with me today. Because the god, this woman was a godly woman, she would have gotten the organic extra virgin olive oil from Kroger. That's the kind of oil she had with her. I recommend that to you. But that is all she had in the house, a jar of oil. It was a tiny flask. ...of anointing oil... ...she was in extreme debt. Before she sold her 17-inch MacBook Pro... ...she got on eBay and she said... ...I'm going to sell all my vessels. We need some food. i got nothing else. i got to start selling some stuff. I'm in debt. I'm selling all my vessels, all my plates... ...all my pots and pans... Kids, get your Xboxes, your Blu-ray DVDs, the big screen TV. Listen, we got to give it up. we got to sell it on eBay. She sold it all on eBay. She opens up the Israel Ledger and she put in an ad for her Honda Camel, her version of her minivan. She had to get rid of the minivan. She had absolutely nothing left but a single jar of oil. What was God going to do with that flask of oil? Well, Elisha had a plan. God's always got a plan. What have you got? God's got some instructions for you. God's got a plan for you. God just wants you to take that next step. Things aren't making sense. He says, what have you got in the house? Give it to me, take that next step, and let's find out. Elisha says, go and borrow some empty vessels from all your neighbors... Now, I'm sitting here thinking, you know what? That doesn't make a bit of sense. I don't know, maybe it does. But that doesn't make much sense to me. She's got nothing in the house. She can't even feed her kids some ramen noodles. And Elisha says, go and borrow some empty vessels. Go and get some empty pieces of Tupperware. Really doesn't make sense. I'm thinking if you've got no food to put on the table for your two kids... ...and if you're going to go ask your neighbors for something... ...you're going to say, would you go to Kroger with me... ...and help me bag a full set of groceries? Make it paper and plastic. You know, the church is real good about this... ...and Bellwether does a great job of this. If someone is in need, if someone's pregnant... ...there's a death in the family, whatever it may be... ...we say, bless your heart, child... We've got you on the prayer list. We've got you on the food list. We're making a schedule out. We're going to have our congregation, our small groups, and we're going to bring you a full set of food. We're bringing you roast beef and mashed potatoes. We're bringing you chicken pot pie. You're going to have a full plate of food every night for you and your boys. That's what makes sense to me. Elisha doesn't tell her that. Elisha says... Go get some vessels. Two qualifications for the vessels. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter if they're tall or short. It doesn't matter if they match the curtains. Make them empty vessels. And make them many vessels The end of verse 3. Make sure they're not too few. I don't know. It still doesn't make sense to me. Why is God desiring emptiness? We're not going to go put empty Tupperware on our friend's front porch... ...and say, the Lord bless you, enjoy, my friend. I don't know, I'm not getting it. But God's up to something more than I could ever grasp. What is He going to do with empty vessels? Why does God require emptiness? If it doesn't make sense to you, maybe fasting doesn't make sense to you. We're, call, we're talking about fasting this morning. We're talking about fasting for the next several weeks. You may be thinking, what in the world could an empty plate, an empty bowl, an empty cup of coffee mean to my relationship with God? I don't see a whole lot of sense in that. Why are we going to be talking about that for the next 46 days of Lent? If you're not familiar with fasting, two things can at least can be said about it. There's an inward focus and an outward focus. The inward focus would be saying, "Let me eliminate something from my life that I depend on more than God." And I'm going to eliminate it, maybe for a couple hours a day, maybe a couple of days a week, maybe for the entire season of Lent but you start depending on God more than you're depending on that thing. Some preachers call it a functional savior. When you're stressed out, you go to that thing. Fasting says when you're stressed out, you go to God. That's an inward focus. It's an elimination of something from your life so that you can have more of God in you. There's also an outward focus to fasting. Isaiah 58 speaks well of this. This is an external focus. Fasting, this is not eliminating something from your life. This is adding something to someone else's life. This is adding a blessing to another person. Isaiah 58 says, give bread to the hungry. Invite the homeless into your home. Give the naked some clothes. That's an outward focus to fasting. Now for our purposes, we're not going to go into much detail about it. We'll be laying out some resources for you over the next couple of weeks. But for today, I just want to focus on emptiness. I want to inspire us, awaken us to the fact that God is looking for emptiness. What could God do with a church full of empty vessels? Well, what did the widow, what did he do with the widow? And a house of empty vessels. He poured his heavenly oil into the vessels. Now some commentators will say that heavenly oil is reference to the Holy Spirit. Some commentators will say it's reference to what God has given us, made in the image of God, the skills he's given us, the talents he's given us, the person he has made us to be. I'm saying, why can't you couple the two? Why can't you couple who the Holy Spirit is with who you are? I think that may be the best way to look at it. And verse 5 says this. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. I just got to say this. This lady got ...her kids involved. I don't know if we've got them in here... ...but I just want to say this. Thank you, parents of our children's ministry. Thank you, parents, for getting your kids involved... ...in our family ministry. I want to personally say thank you, Holly Collins. ...thank you, Jennifer Morgan... ...thank you, Jill Bowden... ...for getting your kids involved in the miracle of God... It may seem like you're just filling empty vessels on a Sunday morning in family ministry. You're involved in the miracles and the mercies of God. Thank you all to the volunteers on Sunday morning with our children. I want to say thanks to the teenage parents who get their kids involved in our youth group. I want to say thank you to our five youth leaders. Thank you to our teenagers who get involved on Sunday nights and make youth ministry a priority... You are involved in the miracle of God. She got her two boys involved. I just want to say thanks. Bellwether wants to say thanks. She got her kids involved. They went into a room and shut the door. Now, many of us, and this is a great thing to do, we shut the door to our car, we go to work, and that's where we pray. Bless God. But I want to ask, when was the last time you got in a room alone with God? When was the last time you shut the door on your doubts, the door on your distractions in life? When was the last time you shut the door on all the naysayers that say, you can't do this, you can't have this, when Jesus Christ says, you can have all of me you want. When was the last time you got in a room with the Bible and poured yourself over it, poured yourself over your prayer list, poured yourself over your family, and you waited on God? You had a need of God, and you got in a room and you listened to Him, and you depended on Him, and you trusted on Him, and you waited on Him, and you wanted it to happen this day, next week, and He said, no, you wait, and so you waited more. When was the last time you shut the door whether it was yourself or with your family, and you poured yourself over the Scriptures and in prayer. Can you imagine what happened in that room when the mom got her two boys and the Scripture says that she poured and they brought the vessels and she poured and they brought the vessels and it kept pouring and it kept pouring. The Scripture says as long as there was empty vessels, the oil kept flowing. What happened in that room that day? I imagine worship broke out. I imagine Thanksgiving broke out. Laughter and victory and celebration. I imagine they sang the song that we sang this morning. I will sing because you are good. I will dance because you are good. I will shout because, God, you are good. What could the good God do in your life? Some of you here this morning are saying, you know what? I've got nothing. I'm just a little jar of oil. I'm insecure. I can't speak. I can't sing. I can't serve. I don't know the scriptures. I don't have any skill or talent to bless anybody with. Some of you feel like you're at the end of the rope. God is not done with you yet. He's still got some Holy Spirit, some oil to pour in your life. One person rightly said, can you imagine what God can do with the tiny spark of your life when it's coupled with the flame of the Holy Spirit? God can take one life and set a family, a country, a city, a church on fire. Another person said the church has got light, it just doesn't have any heat. We've got to get some heat up in here. Can you imagine what God can do with one church in Jackson, Mississippi who is on fire for Jesus Christ who has come empty with a fight and is praying and it says, God, for the next 46 days we've got nothing but your Holy Spirit and empty vessels. God, bring me another vessel. God, bring me another vessel. God, bring me another vessel. Verse verse 6... When the vessels were full, she said to her, Son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There's not another. And when they were full, they set it aside. May those words never be spoken at Bellwether. There's not another vessel. May we never speak that here. When there wasn't any more vessels, when the vessels were full, when the vessels had enough, they took it and they set it aside. When this church says, I've got enough of Jesus, I'm full, I don't need God. When we're not dependent upon God, He's going to take us and He's going to set us aside. The church at Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3 Verse 15 through 17 was at risk. Jesus said, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. They needed some heat. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Nothing. There's a difference between saying I have nothing and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. That was the report, that was the testimony of Revelation chapter 3. Have you had enough of God yet? Do you got enough of Jesus in your life? I hope that's not yours and my testimony. I hope I never stop being empty, needing God. What was the testimony? What was the report of this widow? In a couple of weeks after our campaign, we're going to be able to give a testimony. We're going to be able to text in our fasting and our praying. We're going to be able to give testimony, reports of what God has done. At the end of this chapter, what was the testimony in verse 7 of this lady? She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on the rest. What did God do? God provided oil. God provided vessels. God provided full deliverance from debt. Sounds a lot like Jesus Christ. Praise this one who paid my debt, who raised this life up from the dead. Jesus paid it all. God gave them enough to pay the creditor the debt, provided a living. And I love the words at verse 7, "You and your sons can live on the rest." How did the story begin? The story began talking about death. It ended talking about life. You've come in here and you felt dead. I've got no more. I hope you walk out of here feeling I've got life in me. There is hope for tomorrow. There is strength for today. Our God is faithful. It's the story of Jesus and His followers from death to life, from suffocating to breathing. And this widow had breath. She could finally breathe again. Thank God. I started out this sermon begging God for one person. We've been through the scripture. Elisha said, don't ask for too few. I can't ask for one person anymore. I'm asking all of us for the next 46 days Could you find yourself dependent upon God? Could you find yourself with a fight? Could you find yourself with a fast and with a prayer? May you and I be utterly dependent upon God. Just like we are for the air we breathe.